Hello, and welcome to the Her and Him podcast. I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And when two theologians get married, what you get is a podcast. So, so let's talk about sex. Oh, this is going to be fun. So if you're listening to this with little ones, then you may want to listen to it at a later time. And we actually got this topic from a listener who sent us a message and asked that we talk about sex and purity culture and some things that we think are important topics to dive into. And so along those lines, if you have any topics that you would like us to talk about, we actually read our messages and we will discuss the topics. So if you have any, send them in. You use the term we read liberally. I read the messages and then send them to you. Well... Yes, I will admit I'm not on social media in my personal life or in my her and him life. So, but we do read them at the end of the day. I end up reading them at some point. So we is correct. I filter out all of the crazy people and send you the good ones. So Thank you. I'm yeah. Filtration system. But anyways, talking about sex, sex has always been a weird thing to talk about and especially for Christians to talk about. And depending on who you are, it might not have even been something that had a lot of conversation in your house when you were growing up or with your parents that you ever had the quote-unquote talk. Or the birds and the bees, which I am not going to lie, still don't know why it's called birds and the bees, but I don't know, anyways. maybe it has something to do with like pollination. Or... Maybe, I don't know. Anyways, but that was certainly my experience where... The birds and the bees? The birds and the bees was, your experience? was not a conversation that oh. was ever had in my house my parents never brought it up to me. They didn't want to talk about it. I certainly didn't want to talk about it with them, and I wasn't going to force the issue. And so I really didn't get any input from them on the topic through my childhood or my adolescence or even into adulthood, other than just the implicit understanding that sex is bad, don't have it, and that's the end of the conversation. So that was my experience. I, I think that's the experience of a lot of Christians that grew up in conservative homes. What was your experience? I certainly had a, a different experience. My mom was very open about these kinds of things. And I remember being maybe in middle school and having some pretty direct questions um, about certain things I was hearing at school. I think you told me about this once and your mom would sometimes make things up if it was too uncomfortable? Well, technically it wasn't made up, but it wasn't answering my question. Not because it was uncomfortable for her, but I think she thought I wasn't ready for that kind of information. But she was certainly open and we always had this running conversation about anything in my life. So it was easy to talk to her, to ask her questions. I distinctively remember some pretty specific conversations with my mom. And a lot of them came alongside those sex ed videos that were in elementary school. Heinous. I don't really remember anything, but I do remember coming home and my mom was like, so do you have questions? She was like excited to talk about <laughs> she it. She was just like, do you have any questions? And I was just like, mm, I don't think so, but I'll let you know. So <laughs> my questions didn't come until middle school and they were kind of random. It, there was never one sit down, let's have the talk. It was just always a, an ongoing conversation. I'm an open door. Come on in. If you have questions, let me know. Is that a weird way to say no, just that? Like, she's like, just step into my office. I have an open door policy <laughs> in this household. <laughs> well, she certainly didn't have an office, but 
Yeah. So, but my mom was just very open. At the end of the day, my mom had no issues talking about it. I had, I had no issues asking her questions. I never felt uncomfortable, but that's also probably my personality because I still don't feel uncomfortable about that kind of stuff. So, right. And so you, you, you kind of point something out that your understanding of the topic or the kind of the shaping of your perception about sex and you know, just your relationship to it and what it is and all those questions, it was shaped by not one encounter or one conversation, but over the course of many encounters and many conversations, this is such a huge aspect of humanity, of our lives that's so important to us, and it's this kind of essential part of who we are as our sexuality that we're shaped over time by this. And I think in the absence of some intentional conversation, what we're shaped by is really what we see in movies or in just television shows. Which is usually pretty inaccurate to real life. Yeah. <laughs> Hip-hop songs. And it's just, you know, yes. or, or country songs. I mean. Those are inaccurate as well. Yeah. And so what we want to do is we want to really have some intentional conversation and open conversation about sex and our relationship to it. And um, I guess kind of start to wrestle through what is a healthy view of sex to hold it in high regard, um, but to do so with balance without abusing or misusing sex. What does that kind of look like? And so the first thing we want to do is look to all of the relevant biblical passages that we can find, which there are a lot. There are a lot, so we're not going to look at all of them. <laughs> you said all of them, and I, I was just thinking, wow, I didn't I didn't make note of every single one in the Bible. By all of them, I meant like three. Yes, yes. So I think um, in particular, kind of what we'll want to look at first is does the Bible very specifically say sex before marriage is wrong? And how, like, how do we know that? It's obviously something um, I grew up knowing from the church. And I think it's just a pretty common understanding within the church. And even just throughout history, throughout the history of the church and even yes. pre-Jesus, this yeah. is the understanding. Yeah. So in Hebrews 13, 4, it says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So here in this verse, obviously it's talking about the importance of marriage and sex being within the context of marriage um, between man and woman and, and the way that's understood and defined in Scripture. Um, so if, if there is any kind of sex happening pre-marriage, then that would be defined in this verse as, um, sexual immorality. And so if there's sex happening while you are married and it's not with your spouse, then obviously that's adultery. So we do see scripture talk about sex before marriage being a sin and it being defined as sexually immoral right and not just sex before marriage sex outside of the marriage covenant relationship that god had set up in genesis 2 between adam and eve that kind of a covenant relationship marriage between a man and a woman so whether that's you're not married yet or you're married to somebody else or whatever the case might be anything outside of of that understanding would be the definition of what paul and other biblical writers call sexual immorality 
Right. And there is the word adultery used, which is obviously in relation to marriage. Right. Cheating on your spouse. Yeah. So that's the only part I was trying to just really make clear. Because I think a lot of the times we understand adultery is in scripture all the time. And we see sexual immorality, but we're like, "Mm, what does that really mean? So you can definitely put sex before marriage into this category of sexual immorality. That's where it would fall. Right. And so like sex before marriage, pornography... Right. Uh, even in Matthew where Jesus talks about if you lust after someone in your heart, then it's like you've committed adultery with them in your heart. So even to that level, those things would all fall under this blanket of kind of outside the bounds of what God had intended for sex. Yeah. And there are verses that actually go further into why these are not good things for us. It's not just that God is saying, I want to take away any fun that's going to happen in your life. Right. And that's an important distinction because it can sound really restrictive, but it's not. And the verses that you'll, you're about to read kind of illustrate why it's, it's not just this restrictive thing. It's actually right. really important. Yeah, because the world will tell us you should be a little bit more free than that. So in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, it says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So this is actually saying like when you commit this sin, you're actually doing it against yourself. And most other sins, we can see how it it affects other people and ourselves. But this one very specifically is something that you are doing to yourself and you're actually negatively impacting your own life by committing this sin. And we see this again in 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 3 through 5. It says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And what is your sanctification? It means that you're beginning to look more and more like the way that Jesus intended that you would look and live. And what does that consist of? That you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his or her own body in holiness and honor and not in passion of lust like unbelievers who do not know God. And so there's this sense in which God wants to enable you to live a fullness of life with your sexuality. And the way that you're going to do that is if you express your sexuality within the context that he designed it for, which is a lifelong covenant relationship between man and women. Ma- woman. Man and woman. Just, just one woman. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, these are not every verse in the Bible that talks about this. It is very specific in Scripture that sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage in any way is sin. And it's also driving this wedge between you and the life that God has intended for you. Right. And we're kind of framing this conversation the way it's often framed, which is what are you not allowed to do? But really, these are the boundaries that are setting up the goodness of what God wants for you, which is to enjoy the physical, spiritual, emotional connection that sex offers, and for that to be a a a binding aspect of your relationship with your spouse. Yeah, for me, I would say I fully understood that sex was bad um, outside of marriage. I didn't understand that abstinence was actually the best plan for me. I thought I was following a rule that didn't really matter either way outside of saying I followed the rule. 
And so it's really important to understand what God has put in place, like this rule, if we want to call it, is for your good. Right. It's for your ultimate flourishing. And this is a big theme of what we just want to talk about on this podcast, which is the way that God designed us to operate and the way that he commands us to live and to act is so that we would function inside our God-given design so that our lives would flourish and that we would be able to experience an abundance of life. Yeah. And so the Bible becomes very clear on sex outside of marriage is a sin and it's a sin because it is pulling you away from the good things that God has designed for you. Um, But a lot of the times we get this question of like, what does the Bible say about dating and what's acceptable in dating? Right. Because how do we get from single, no sex, married, yes, sex, there's, there's a, kind of there's like a this massive, gap in there. Yeah. yeah, there's a gap in between there, but we can't seem to figure out what we're supposed to do in that in between. And the church kind of gets weird about dating. The church certainly gets weird. And I think it's because we don't have we don't have verses that say this is how you date. This is what you're supposed to do. And the reason we don't have that is because culturally that's not how it happened for them. It's kind of a new thing. There was arranged marriages throughout most of history and certainly in the ancient Near East. Mm -hmm. And so it was, you know, you're going to marry so and so because they're from this family and we have an alliance with them or they're our friends or whatever it might be. There were these arranged marriages and so you'd be betrothed to whoever it was and then you'd be married and you'd make it work whereas we live in a culture where there's you you follow your dreams you follow who you love you follow your heart into love yeah and then you get married uh and so living in that culture and trying to navigate that has been something that's kind of tricky for the church and and even when Tamara, you and i were dating uh like pastors and leaders at our church wouldn't even call us boyfriend and girlfriend they would say that you are my special friend. It sounds way creepier than just saying girlfriend. Yeah. It but does. it kind of illustrates an overall kind of sense of uncomfortability that suburban evangelicals seem to have with this idea, even of dating, where we see marriage as this really good thing. And this is interesting because I was a pastor before I was married and then I got married. And marriage, and especially if you have a kid, It's like this credential as a pastor that gives you some kind of legitimacy where if you're a single pastor, people are like, meh, whatever, you'll figure it out when you get married. But it's like this step you have to go through. Now you're married and you have a kid or two kids. Now all of a sudden you're legitimate as a a Christian leader. So there's like this weird divide where it's like dating, it makes us squeamish. We're uncomfortable with it. We don't really like it. We don't want to acknowledge it. While at the same time, yes, sex and marriage is good because it leads to babies and there's this sense of the nuclear family that we love so much. But there's like kind of like this divide of how we can get there and there's a lot of difference of opinion about how to get there. And I think it's, it gets weird because the the church is positioned in the culture. Right. But we don't want to be part the- and parcel of the culture. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be different from that. And so we're trying to work through exactly what what does that look like in a culture where we live, certainly in the 21st century, where uh, it's a very casual dating culture. It's a very casual sex culture. There's very much this sense of sexual liberation that whoever or whatever you want to have sex with, whenever you want to have sex with them, like that's totally cool. 
We need to celebrate that. We need to encourage that. And the church is standing on the other side of that saying, no, sex is this very powerful thing that's meant for one man, one woman inside of a marriage relationship. And so in order to fight back against that kind of very kind of laissez-faire culture, we've gotten a little squeamish around this whole dating conversation. And uh, I think much to the detriment and the harm of single people or dating people. And so the church in our attempts to try and keep this high view of marriage and understanding the the beauty of sex within marriage and that God, that's what God intended it to be, we actually become pretty obsessed with sex in a bad way. Yeah, and in trying to uphold the importance and beauty of sex, we've actually gone so far that we've undercut it in some ways because we said it's no longer morally pure because we've we've overmade our point so much. Right. And we're now saying it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. In marriage, it's good. And so growing up like that becomes really difficult. I mean, this was like a major part of youth group. Yeah, especially for women, maybe for men too. I don't know. But I've been to so many conferences, you know, where they're saying like, you have a key and you don't share that key with anyone. Like they don't get to unlock your garden and all of these. Unlock your garden? <laughs> yes. That oh my gosh. Was definitely, that was one of the conferences I went to. Jeez. And you're given this key. You're actually given a physical key. And you only get one key. You only get one key and you're supposed to hold on this key. And even the way that it's shared in the conference I went to is you actually give this key to your husband. And so you kind of. That's super weird. Yes. Yeah, so. I'm so glad you didn't give me that key on our wedding night. That would have been so weird. This is going to sound bad, but I don't even think I kept the key because I thought it was dumb. I'm so sorry if any of you out there still have your key. You can key just toss to, the key. It's fine. Physically it's fine. You don't need the physical key. Yeah. The like, metaphor is well taken. Toss the key. It's fine. Right. Like everyone knows what is happening on the night of your wedding. So. Like there's no one's confused about what they, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Here's my key. Let me let me start the ceremony. <laughs> this situation isn't awkward to begin with already. Here's this key that I got when I was 12. By the way, I have a magic key. Yeah. <laughs> That's supposed to make the situation less awkward, certainly. Um, but back to what I was saying, I think in our efforts to try and really drive this point home of the beauty of sex within marriage, we actually become so obsessed with telling you how bad it is before marriage that it becomes really difficult to navigate. Um, And to make that transition from being single to being married becomes hard because you're told no, 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 yes. And now you're supposed to have this completely different view of sex overnight, literally. And you can't flip a switch like that. No. And there's like this level of guilt that you're yep. supposed to feel around sex that you've been instructed to feel mm-hmm. since you the first time you ever started thinking about sex. Yeah. To now switch and say, oh, now it before it was all bad and now it's all good. Yeah. I understand the the need to teach right morals. But right. sometimes in the way that we've been brought up in this purity culture with keys and rings and sermon illustrations with ladders where the bottom rung is like hand holding and then like oh. the top rung is an STD. 
Goodness. Yeah, I went to that kind of youth group. I just had keys. Yeah, where that really serves to leave the wrong kind of impression about sex on your mind to where it has negative effects on your view of sex even after you have gotten married. It does. And it's because the church is trying to navigate how do we make sure Christians are not having sex before marriage. And so we're just drilling home how bad it is. Um, And I think the big piece that I missed in all of those sermons and conferences was that this is what's best for me. And if you wait until marriage, it's actually going to be far greater. Right. And I think as we're having this conversation, it's important to note that we obviously need to extend grace to those who raise us up where they did the best they could given their circumstances. You know, the things maybe were explained to us well and we didn't take them well or they weren't explained to us well and that's just the way we received it. But all that to be said, even in the midst of everyone doing their best, we live in a fallen world and even our every part of our lives is broken, including our sexuality. Yeah. And so at this point, we want to have a space where we can unpack all of that. So not to, to say that we want to bash everybody whoever tried to teach us abstinence. No, and certainly I have no idea if we're going to get it right with our with our son. I mean, we probably won't. I am praying. We'll just uh, jack for, him up in different ways than yeah, we jacked up. It's true. It's true. It'd be a whole new flavor of jacked up every generation. <laughs> it will be. Well, I would say there was one really influential book that came out during our generation that I think began to really shape the way that dating looked and it was no longer called dating. It was now called courting because I think we were going back into the Victorian days um, <laughs> where it was called I Kissed Dating Goodbye by Joshua Harris. And that was all about courting. I remember I read that book. Did you read the book? I did not read the book. Okay. Because well. I never read until I became a graduate student. Oh, that makes sense. And by then he had already like renounced his book at that point. I think. Yeah, he's done that in the last couple of years. He has unfortunately even renounced uh, the Christian faith yeah. at this point. But he feels that that book ended up doing a lot of damage. Um, and he doesn't hold to those views anymore. Although a lot of other people hold to those views that he expresses in that book, which are that courtship is far better than dating. So in dating, it's kind of casual. Um, you meet somebody in class or at a coffee shop or, you know, through mutual friends, you spark up a relationship, you start texting one another, you go on a date, you fall in love, and then there's an engagement, and then you're married. I think now this kind of new form of this I've heard is called like date parties. Um, It kind of sounds similar to this. I'm not young enough to know, but um, (laughs) where (laughs) I have heard this term recently, date parties to where you go intentionally in groups um so if you like someone you're not technically with them as a boyfriend or girlfriend you just like them so it kind of feels like courting but you're just doing it in like with like commune style yeah i feel like there's two different uh, versions of that one is a little bit creepier than the other yeah i mean like one is like commune it sounds creepy one is like you're pretty much dating but you're dating in groups which is there's some wisdom to that the other one is like nobody's actually defined their relationships but they're all kind of hanging out in this amorphous blob of people who are attracted to each other i don't know they're just called date parties that's all i know okay well look it up the whole courtship thing (laughs) 
is is far more serious a venture than your average dating relationship. Yeah. Where it's basically you express interest uh, or a guy express interest in a girl and then typically the parents are involved. So he goes to the parents of that girl, that the father of that girl, and says, I express my intentions to court your daughter. Or I don't know, there's some kind of secret handshake or something like that. Maybe uh, there's a gift exchanged or something. A gift exchange. <laughs> but then from that point on, there is this kind of very serious, like very intentional, I am forming a relationship with you that I hope will eventually end in marriage. And so for, kind of from day one, you start kind of marching down that road of that possibility. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. nothing really casual about it. And the heart behind it is that there's this culture of casual dating. Casual dating is casual sex. And there's no real commitment. And so the opposite of that would be to have a real strong commitment up front. Nothing casual. No sex. No physical contact. No hand-holding. None of that. uh, Until the moment of marriage. And so this was kind of a correction for that. But I think it was probably an overcorrection to that. As a cultural movement... Uh, I don't know if it has been a great success in the church. I know there have been some success stories. I've heard a couple of success stories of like people went through kind of this process and now they're married and they've been married for a really long time and they have all these kids and they have a really great marriage. Yeah. So not to discount that, but is this maybe the best way we could be doing things or is it kind of, I don't know, like putting sex up on that pedestal? Mm-hmm. To the point of making us feel dirty about it, making us feel guilty for wanting to date and hang out and be young. Yeah. Uh, like it makes more of the process feel dirty too. Even if you're not having sex with that person you like, if you have any kind of romantic feelings for them or the way you're interacting with them is very flirtatious or just anything further than like we're just friends. I think for Christians, once you cross that friend zone, you now have to feel guilty for any feeling involved in that relationship because is this like a sexual feeling? Like what is that? And that has to surely be a bad feeling because I'm not allowed to have that feeling before marriage at all. And so there's just a lot of things that begin to grow into you feeling dirty about being interested in somebody else. Yeah, and so what we really want to do is to strike this balance between casual, getting to know someone, finding that you're attracted to them, and moving forward on that, and not falling into casual dating, casual sex, casual kind of being flippant about this whole thing, or... Or even just like dating around for the sake of dating around because you're bored and you have, you know, insecurities or whatever. Where, you know, I, I think it's certainly true that you, you ought not to date without any intention or any purpose of marriage. Uh, I think that's the ultimate endpoint that we're trying to get to. But that isn't to say that, you know, I'm 16 years old and I've met this girl and now I'm seriously thinking about next year. We're going to make this commitment. So there's a balance in there somewhere. And I think another balance is finding the appropriate levels of physical affection before marriage um, where you can go the route of we never held hands or even kissed until our our wedding. 
I have known a few people who have had sex before marriage and realized they don't want to continue to walk down that road with the next person they're dating. And for them, the best way to maintain abstinence was to cross absolutely no physical boundary with somebody. And that worked for them. So I don't necessarily think those boundaries are the exact same for everyone. I think there are some that all of us should not be crossing. We held hands and that was not an issue for us. But there were definitely some um, firm boundaries that we never crossed in our dating relationship that I actually had friends of mine or people I knew that thought it was weird that we weren't doing certain things in our dating relationship. Yeah. And so I think it's important to understand where that line is for you. And it's not a completely subjective thing like we've said, but there is some subjectivity to it. And I do think that deepening levels of emotional intimacy are accompanied by deeper levels of physical intimacy leading into marriage. And there's obviously a big kind of stop sign before you get to marriage. And obviously, if you're sensing that all of the intimacy cylinders are firing in that direction, then that's an indication that that's the person you should marry. And so I think there's there's something there where if you are feeling that the relationship is heading in all of those directions, emotionally, physically, spiritually, then those are good things, um, but they're good things in their time. And so we need to keep them within the context of, of that relationship. Yeah, and it's really important to say there are certainly boundaries and lines, and there's always that question within dating, where is that line? That's the um, question that every youth group student asks their youth pastor. How far is, is too, too far? far? That's, the, that's the main question you get when you talk about this topic. And that's because <laughs> they just wanted to know, like, how far can I go until I get in trouble? What's but the think, maximum amount I can do without feeling guilty? Yeah, and unfortunately, that's definitely the wrong way to approach these sorts of relationships. Like, it's the wrong way to go about asking where is that line? Because really, we should want to figure out how do I honor God in this relationship and how do I honor that other person? And so we don't want to get so close to that edge to where if we like dip our toe one centimeter further, we are now in sin. And there's a verse that I think pretty clearly could move into where is that line. And that's Romans 13, 14 says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And that's such an important verse where, that that phrasing stands out to me where it says, make no provision for the flesh. And really what he's talking about is don't create a space for the flesh. Don't set up a a time and a place where you are planning on gratifying the flesh uh, and its sinful desires. Don't give sin any quarter in your life is basically what he's saying. And so your heart ought to be to honor that other person. And as you are seeking greater levels of intimacy with them, that you would want that to be for their good, for your good. And if you feel it leading down that physical path and the the relational, emotional, spiritual aspects are also there, then that's an indication that it is leading you to this good thing, which is marriage. And you should celebrate that but also put boundaries on. Yeah, and I think this is also a verse that um, 
is really good to take to heart once you're married too, because once you enter into marriage, you now have a a different set of temptations, I suppose, because now you're married and you are free to have sex whenever you want within the boundaries of your marriage with your husband or your wife. But anyone who is married will tell you that that you're not free to have sex whenever you want. Yes. That is a lie that you're sold (laughs) because, you know, you have schedules and then when you have a baby or babies Mm -hmm. like that's a whole new set of dynamics you know there's missed schedules where one is tired and the other one's not and then the other one's tired and it's it's kind of like this myth that we'll have unlimited free sex you know right after we get married (laughs) and it's just not the case where you needed to exercise self-control as a single person you also need to exercise self-control as a as a married person. Right. And to make sure that you are maintaining the promises that you made to your spouse. And so there are definitely going to be moments where you and your spouse might not be on the same level in terms of desire or just in terms of capacity <laughs> to have sex in that moment or on that day or during that time or whatever it may look like. And so you just have to begin to build up boundaries with other people to make sure you're not you're not trying to find those ways to be satisfied outside of your marriage and that doesn't always necessarily look like sex it can just look like other forms of intimacy with somebody else it can be emotional intimacy that actually doesn't have any sex involved and so it's important that you build those boundaries One of the boundaries that I put up in my life is I will never text a male just like me and him if it's like, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? Or like, are you fine? Like if it's just this really casual conversation that really has no purpose. You're like, no, what do you want? I'm not going to engage in that conversation. Like if it's work related or if it's, you know, just something else, it's fine. But if I feel like I'm beginning to open up to them and like really just pour my heart out to them, um, I am now playing with fire. And that's that's a bad place to be. Right. And we don't like go through each other's phones, but we're also pretty open about, you know, who we're texting and yeah, the, yeah. you know, our phones are open on our table and yeah. there's no real secrets there. And so there's definitely um, ways to maintain this right understanding of marriage and I mean this right understanding of sex that God had intended for it to be and that challenge of continuing to wrestle with the difficulties of sex don't end once you're married like they kind of just take on new forms and I would say personally for us it was a bit of a challenge to go from saying no, 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 no. And like we had we had many boundaries set up in our dating relationship. And then all of a sudden there were zero boundaries and it was yes all the way. And that wasn't as easy for us to navigate as I thought it was going to be. Right. Um, and so we've really had to work through that together. And I think unfortunately that's just the nature of dealing with a fallen world is you have this misunderstanding of what God meant to be a really good and beautiful thing that we can't even enjoy it um, within marriage right away because we're having to sort through what is this goodness and how, like, how do we make that work for us? Yeah. And I don't think our situation or our experience is unique in that sense where I think a lot of people struggle 
And, you know, our struggle might be that, you know, there was this no, 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 and then yes. Well, then, okay, well, how do we navigate kind of stepping into that and, you know, residual guilt or kind of uh, a sense of restraint that maybe isn't as helpful now as it was before, um, you know, in, in certain regards, whereas someone else may have a struggle of, you know, I've had multiple partners and now... Um, I'm navigating the challenges of what that looks like uh, in a marriage relationship where there's all this kind of history and and now we're, I'm kind of bringing that into the relationship. And so none of this is irredeemable, um, but it is a, there is a deep sense of brokenness because our sexuality is kind of – it's this essential part of uh, of who we are as, as humans living in this world, that it's this huge facet of who we are. And so I think all this is to say that it, it's okay to be broken and messy in this space yeah. and then to just continue to walk through that talk through that, kind of feel what you feel and move forward and move in a direction of a greater sense of, of health and not just this sense of like physical health, but this, this overall holistic well-being with regard to this, this facet of sex. Because when we became broken as humanity, like we became sexually broken. And so that's a, that's a big part of what we are seeking to be redeemed in as we walk with Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Her and Him podcast. If you enjoyed hanging out with us, consider subscribing to the podcast to receive it automatically each week. We'd also love it if you head over to iTunes to leave us a rating and review. And be sure to come visit us at herandhim.com where you'll find show notes for this episode, our blog, and other resources to help you experience the abundant life that Jesus promised to us. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Has fear stolen your peace? I'm Jennifer Slattery, lead host of the Faith Over Fear podcast, helping you fight your fears and grow your faith. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.